Thank you. Good morning. The truth is, we need grace. And that's what we're uh, calling this uh, December series, wrapping up a whole year, talking about uh, grace and truth. Uh, uh, oops, going to turn it on. Um, so we don't often do a full year theme, but this year we did, and I think it's been really powerful. It took the first six months to talk about grace, and the second six months to really drill down deep in the idea of truth. And this is the final uh, sermon in that uh, year-long theme. And so t today I'm really going to be transitioning, uh, closing that down, and, and talking about this Rama ministry that we're providing. And it's all based on this uh, verse, the theme verse for the whole year is uh, in John 1. And if nothing else, after a whole year, I hope that you have this verse down. <laughs> because I've quoted it every message I've taught this whole year, as well as most of the other teachers. But the Word became flesh, speaking of Jesus Christ. This is uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, as I said last week, in John's Gospel, he just summarizes the story of Christmas, it's elaborated in Matthew and, and Luke, but in John he just says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and of His fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So God's Word is the means by which we access we gain uh, we, we receive the fullness of grace and truth and the word is personified according to this verse and many other scriptures as the person jesus christ so we're going to kind of look at what this means and explore the idea of well what is how do we receive god's word and what does it mean <clears throat> and so um this phrase the word became flesh the big idea that john's trying to communicate it's really important that we understand is that uh, in jesus christ the eternal objective word of god took on human form and so it actually surprised me often people are christians for many many years without understanding that jesus existed eternally he was born on a particular day and that's, that's what we celebrate in Christmas. But that wasn't the beginning of his existence. That was just the moment in which he clothed himself uh, uh, in a human body. He was fully human. But prior to that, he existed eternally. And so uh, the Word, God, the eternal God, as described here as the Word, became human. And that's what we're... Uh, 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 we need to understand that it was it's a big idea it's, it's huge in understanding the christian faith that that jesus is the embodiment of god in a literal way he came into a body and that you know there's a famous quote that uh, many people struggle with the idea of the resurrection that jesus rose from the dead but the bigger miracle is the incarnation how did an infinite, eternal God fit into a finite human body? And I don't know. There's no answer to that other than he did. <laughs> and we believe it. 
Um, and in, in Christ, God made himself, that fullness of truth and grace, relatable to us. This is why he did it. Uh, we can grasp it. It becomes part of our experience. Jesus came into the world he created, not only into the world he created, but into the world that rejected him, that gave into sin, that had become completely corrupted and under a curse as a result of sin and the deception of Satan. And so Jesus not only became human, but he got, he, he crawled into the mess and into the pain and into the struggle of what it means to be human so that we could see the light and be offered an opportunity out of the mess. And actually, it's his intention to restore uh, all of creation to its former glory. And, and this is an important aspect. It's good to remember, it's extremely essential to understand that Christianity is not merely a set of rules or regulations, it's not merely a set of ideas that we believe, it's the truth that this eternal God came to live as a man, to live out life, and that means we can relate to God in the same way that we relate to another person. And that's just incredible. All right. So this was true historically in the person of Jesus, but he was only on the planet for about 33 years, and then he ascended, right? <clears throat> Does that mean this is all done? No. It continues to be true today. God's word is meant to be interactive, if you will, or it continues to be incarnational and real in meaning. And the word incarnation is big words based on the Latin word carne, which and in Spanish, con, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you order nachos con carne, what does it mean? With meat. <laughs> carne, meat. In carne means in meat. All right? And so Jesus came in the flesh, in a physical body. Um, and, not, and God, all throughout creation, is incarnational. And this is another big idea. What we, uh, we, uh, the Bible teaches, and Jesus is the fullness expression of a, a part of God's nature that never changes, and that He is an incarnational God. He did not create the universe, as some people teach, and then go off and do something else. He's actively involved every moment, moment in all of creation. He's in creation, even though he's apart from creation. Um, and so God is active. Romans says that uh, all of uh, nature, all of creation, openly displays the, the, uh, the attributes of God. That by looking at things like planets and geology and oceans and sunrises and trees and animals and bugs, all of those things, we actually can learn about God's invisible attributes. Why? Because God expresses himself in this creation in the same way an artist expresses themselves as they create art. This creation is God's work of art, but he's invested into it. And Jesus is the fullest expression of this. And so this is to continue. We are to continue to have a relationship with God. 
And so, uh, in order to understand this, <clears throat> we're going to quickly go through a survey of three Greek words that are used in the New Testament that refer to God's Word, all right? And uh, 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 Logos is commonly uh, known as uh, the word, it's actually the most often used word in the New Testament, and it's used 316 times, and uh, uh, you can find that in John, actually the verse we read earlier, that was Logos, the Greek word Logos, or Lagos, uh, and John opens up his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so John is doing two things. In the scripture, God is communicating a couple of things in this, this verse. One, it's equating the person of Jesus as being the word of God. And that Jesus not only was with God, but he was God and is God. That's a strong declaration that Jesus, and if you read the whole chapter 1, it's very clear it's speaking about the person of Jesus. Logos is a very general term, and it means the idea, the thought, the reasoning, or motive or meaning of something. Okay? So it's not actually referring to a particular word. It's referring to the idea that that word means. It's the meaning. All right? Um, for example, uh, actually it was uh, earlier this year I was in Brazil and I was doing a teaching, and this is just to illustrate this uh, concept, um, and I was, I was talking about the importance of knowing our origin story and our beginning. I was, particular, I was talking to leaders about church planting and, 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 and leading ministry, and, and origin stories are very important. I've, I've taught the lesson here. And for example, like Steve, uh, the, the origin of Apple computers, you know, Steve Jobs in his garage, and that shapes the culture of the, of the uh, business by knowing the origin story. But the translator was great. He was actually a fantastic translator. It's fun when you have a good translator because you can work together. But he misheard me, and he thought I said orange story. Okay. And for 10 minutes, I'm talking about the importance and, and the impact of having an understanding of our origin story. And he was translating it in Portuguese as the importance of understanding and the importance of our orange story. <laughs> and finally, someone in the front row, actually the pastor of the church, I think he was just he didn't. He waited that long because he was laughing so hard. <laughs> he interrupts and says, "He's got it wrong. It's it's origin." And they fixed it. And for the rest of the week, that was a joke between us. We kept talking about the orange story. Uh, so the word origin was not the word orange. It was the meaning. See how the word represents a meaning, and a translator can take. They have a much harder job than a preacher because they have to listen to one language and in their brain change it around and communicate the same logos into a different rhema, a different actual spoken words. And you have to do it phrase by phrase because they change the order of the words. And it's really interesting in Japan because that's a crazy language. <laughs> and uh, it's very, very important to know how to do that. Why? Because I'm trying to communicate a logos, 
a concept, an idea. And that's what's important, not the particular words I use. But the words are important because if I don't use the right words, we get the, low, the understanding is mixed up. Got it? <clears throat> okay, so it can refer to something specific, or it can refer, as it is in this verse, to something as broad and general as, and grand as Jesus Christ, a person. So that's the one. Often uh, there's a common mistake in Christian with t teachers and preachers, especially, um, especially people in the charismatic Pentecostal tradition, to say uh, thinking that logos refers to the written word, and um, the other word that I'm going to get to in a few minutes, rhema refers to a spoken word, but logos doesn't refer to the written word. Another word is used for that. Uh, uh, logos refers to the, the meaning. Graphe, which is used over 50 times in the New Testament, refers to the written word. And a good example is 2 Timothy 3.16. All graphe, all scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So this is, when it's used, it's talking about something that's written, graphe, it's the basis for the word uh, we still use this today, as a, a graph or a uh, graphics, you know, something that's drawn. <clears throat> and so the written word of God, how many have a Bible with them? Okay, I got one in my hand here, which hardly I'd never use anymore, occasionally. Got about 50 of them in here, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, nice to have different translations. That objective word of God, the Bible, is our only, only, only authoritative source of revelation. All right, all other forms, and there are other forms of revelations, other ways that we hear from God, those must be submitted to this objective standard. And, this, and not only submitted but uh, to the objective standard, it must be rightly understood and properly applied. Okay, so it's important to understand that this is our source of revelation, and I don't care how incredible the spiritual experience may be, it can never uh, be in uh, contradiction to what is taught in Scripture, okay? Because this is objective, this is trustworthy, and we need to make sure we're interpreting it correctly and applying it correctly but it doesn't invalidate the other ways that God speaks. It actually validates that. Um, uh, in Scripture, it validates hearing God's voice. And that's what this third word uh, is about, rhema, and that's what we're doing, this rhema gift, uh, sharing with hopefully everyone in the church has signed up for an opportunity to have someone share with you a prophetic word. It's used over 60 times in Scripture. And uh, one place, I'm just going to quote one uh, where it's used, Matthew 4, Jesus himself answered, it is written, that actually is the graphe, and he's quoting an Old Testament verse, so he's referring to the scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, every spoken word that comes out of the mouth of God. Mm. Right? And so we have uh, the, the written word of God talking about the audible or the spoken and it doesn't have to necessarily be audible there's been a few times where i i'm not sure if that was i've heard god audibly like it was so clear i was like I, was that did i actually hear that but it was so clear that it it might as well have been 
All right, and so God does speak audibly to people, but that is not common. Uh, uh, but hearing God's voice is more important to us than eating food, according to this verse. So this is something that's spoken. It's an utterance. It's something in the moment. All right? It can be recorded in writing, and that's what most of the Bible is, is the record of people hearing God. Um, throughout the Old Testament, it says, Thus saith the Lord. It was actually someone speaking what they were hearing from God, and then it was written down, written down and recognized that, boy, this was actually inspired, and so it's authoritative. So someone would read a graphe, but hear a rhema to understand the logos. All right? That's how they work together. And uh, it's important that we understand that all three are important in, a, in our relationship with the Lord. The words, just so you understand, the words are used interchangeably, just like in English. Uh, you know, you can't get too specific. Sometimes uh, logos might be used in a, a verse referring to a particular thing said. Sometimes the words are used like synonyms. But when you drill down, there are actually different specific meanings. And based on the context of how it's used, we understand that these are three different ways uh, that God communicates. There's the meaning, the understanding, the big picture logos. There's the written, which is authoritative and objective, graphe. And then there's the rhema, which is the spoken, active uh, communication that we can have with God. Just as an example, in real life, I married my wife 35 years ago. I, you know, we were in love. I told her we were in love. Um, so it's understood. So would it be appropriate for me to say, hey, I married you. I love you. Uh, if it changes, I'll let you know. Would that be a good basis of a relationship? Come on, women. No! Well, it's understood. What do you want me? Yeah. No, that's not good enough to maintain a relationship. It's true. But we need more to maintain a relationship. And that's the big idea here. And so having it written, say if I write a note, or if I send her an email and I end with love, you know, I don't, if I send Bob an email, I, I generally don't say love, I love you, brother. <laughs> but it's not the same way that I would sign an email from my wife, hey, I love you, honey, you know. And so I'd write that down, write it on a note. But even more important is actually saying it so that she hears and I hear from her and so all three ways are important, and all three ways reinforce the relationship. And I, what I'm trying to communicate to you today is that's how, that is how God's Word works. That we need to have all three because He's called us into a relationship with Him. All right? <clears throat> Let's move on. Uh, so prophecy is... Um, around here, we use the term rhema ministry for prophecy. And the reason for that is that if someone was... Um, either totally unchurched, they don't know what prophecy means, and I almost always just think about uh, prophesying the future or the end times. And if you're raised in a, a certain uh, 
church uh, denominations, it is very specific that that means the things concerning the return of Jesus Christ. And so, <laughs> or uh, there, there was a era within the uh, church that prophetic ministry was practiced, but it was done in a way that was almost always um, um, uh, pointing out people's sins. And so it was scary. It was really scary. They almost made it intentionally scary. And uh, we realized that's not how it should be. And so um, we don't use the term prophecy for rhema ministry. We use rhema. It's a Greek word. Most people don't know what it means. <laughs> and so it's, they don't have, don't have a preconception. Um, but those who do know what it means, means that we're talking about the now word of God. God speaking into your life. So that's why we use rhema. And it refers to... Um, uh, the fourth telling, okay, which is speaking forth God's word. It doesn't, uh, prophecy most often in scripture, uh, isn't foretelling the future. It's just telling forth what's on God's mind. And it certainly isn't fortune telling, which is uh, an activity either of demonic spirits or just of your fleshly, of your, of your spirit, a person's spirit, even if they're not saved, can tune into things in the spirit realm. And um, uh, a normal and healthy uh, type of, of that would be what we call intuition. And so some people are really high, have a really, a lot of intuition. That's not prophecy, that's intuition. And intuition isn't wrong or evil, if it's done right, if it's done proper, if it's used well, but that's not prophecy, because prophecy isn't reading someone. Prophecy is hearing from the Lord and communicating to them or to yourself what God is saying. So there's a big difference there. It can mean something about the future, but often, and I would say most often, it's not. It's about the present. It's about something that's going on in your life or God speaking, uh, speaking forth God's word for the moment. All right, it's something you can hear. <clears throat> the Bible has uh, at least 800 direct references to prophetic words and many, many more indirect references. So this Bible here has uh, just under uh, 1,100 pages. And so if those prophetic words were spread out evenly throughout Scripture, that would mean on 70 to 80% of the pages of Scripture, there's a prophetic word being mentioned. Right? That's pretty significant. Remember, the Bible is not a history book about what God did. It's meant to be a textbook where we learn what God does. All right? Big difference. The lives of almost every biblical character or personality, person uh, spoken about in the Bible, was directly impacted by prophetic revelation. All right? And I would say it was even more common in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. You read through the story of Acts and how many things happened that were, that were directly influenced by someone having a prophetic word. And keep in mind, in the New Testament, they already had scripture. That verse I read earlier, that all scripture is inspired by God. That was Paul writing to Timothy, referring to what we call the Old Testament. And so in scripture, that validate, validates the authority of the written word, it, it also talks about the prophetic word as being valid. Does this make sense? 
right? And so um, if we are to be biblical Christians, and I don't know where you all are at, but I'm, I'm trying to equip you in an understanding here, <clears throat> because some people think that prophecy is ended. Prophecy will end, the Bible tells us that, when the perfect comes. And I believe that's referring to when Jesus returns. We won't need prophecy because we'll be able to talk to him, all right? Uh, it hasn't ended, and, and that has influenced uh, Christianity, uh, really all Christianity uh, in the Western world, in Europe and in, 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 uh, in the Americas, because of that strong teaching actually uh, started in some uh, the, of the revivals and, um, and the Reformation uh, from the 1500s on, <clears throat> that prophecy ended. Well, there's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, it's an essential aspect of being a Christian. And so if we're to be biblical Christians, and we should, you should, I should, expect regular prophetic revelation in our lives to guide us, because that's the pattern that God shows us in his inerrant uh, written word. So let's talk a little bit more about prophecy. <clears throat> uh, the Bible teaches that he who prophesies speaks edification, which could also be translated building up or strengthening. Exhortation, which could be translated stirring up or encouraging and comfort to men. Fantastic verse that summarizes in just a few words what uh, prophecy is all about. This doesn't apply to just beginner prophecy. And again, I'm speaking to correct what I believe is an incorrect understanding that some people have, and actually you can find books that teach this, that this is for beginners, and once you get more advanced, you can, you can go beyond that. And I'm like, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not what it says. It says, he who prophesies, anybody who's prophesying, whatever you say needs to fall under these three categories. And I would say all three. Because if it's not building a Christian up, then it's really not of God. And if it's not encouraging you and strengthening you, then it's not God, because God's Word encourages, and God's Word builds up. And it also should bring comfort, even if it is a word of correction, all right, or direction. And so people, as we train people to hear God's voice and share rhema words, we do tell them initially, don't give corrective words. Uh, don't tell people they're doing something wrong. And don't give, give directive words. Don't tell them something that they do. That they, don't say like, God's saying, sell all that you own and move to Indonesia and a revival will begin and trust him for the finances. No, he's not going to do that. All right? Uh, like, I don't know where you'd come up with that. Can God say something like that? Yeah. But certainly, people that are new, like even if you think you're hearing God say that, you're not allowed to say it. Uh, uh, if there's a directive word, what we train our teams to do is take that and bring it to the person who's over the Rhema ministry or to one of the pastors and talk to us about it, and then we'll pray about it. And if we feel it's appropriate if there's some confirmation, we may talk to that person. Uh, and then we also teach them to, to filter it. <clears throat> so you might be hearing that, and, and instead of saying that, you could say, 
God wants you to be prepared for great changes in your life. You know? And there's new destinations. You know, that's fine. You're not too specific. But even those who are more mature and seasoned and trained uh, can give more specific and directive words, but they still need to be edifying, encouraging, and comforting. All right? <clears throat> because that's what God's words it does in all of its uh, expressions. Also, the Bible is very clear that prophecy must be judged. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it says, let two or three, this is talking in the context of a church service, but it applies to any prophecy, two or three people prophesy, and let the others evaluate or judge what is said. Why would the Bible put that in there? Why would God say, that prophecies must be judged. Hmm? Because there will be mistakes. All right? So it just, it baffles me. People hear something from God, or they hear a word from God, and they just think it's infallible. And I'm like, actually, the Bible teaches it is going to fail. Guaranteed! All right? It's not 100% accurate. Another place, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. So in the very verse that God is encouraging them to respect prophecy, he's saying you need to test it. All right? And, and hold on to the good. Eat the chicken, spit out the bones. So compare this to a sermon, for example, where I've studied, I've studied this topic for decades. I've read countless books on it. I, I studied the, the Greek words. and You know what? And every sermon, I, I do tons of preparation, hours of preparation. Are, they, are my sermons infallible? Hmm? No. And I make mistakes. And sometimes I realize it. And sometimes other people realize it. <laughs> okay, so just compare that to decades of preparation, hours of study, and I still make mistakes. And, and, and you think that, you know, hearing something and saying it is going to be infallible? Well, that's just nonsense, isn't it? All right? And so we, so we need to respect it. We don't uh, despise it. We honor it, but we test it. All right. Um, with all words, the interpretation is really the key. Even this word of God, which is 100% accurate, can be misinterpreted or applied and end up causing you know, disastrous results, right? And so how we interpret. And so sometimes you need to, to wait until you get uh, an interpretation that makes sense. Mike Bickle has written a lot on this. He leads the International House of Prayer and um, has many books uh, on this topic, teaches on it all the time. From one of his books, I'm quoting him, prophecy is reporting in human words what God brings to mind. God conveys to our mind or spirit thoughts which we communicate in contemporary language. They are a mixture of God's words and man's words. Some prophetic words may be 10% God and 90% man while others may have a greater revelatory content. And so just understanding that there's a, a, 
there's that mix going on where uh, God's downloading an idea. Often when I get prophetic words, it's a picture. I see something. And then I have to describe it. Um, but there's a lot of distance between me seeing a picture and then the words that come out of my mouth. And I can get in the way. Paul, uh, in Corinthians it says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. And so all prophecy is part solid and part filler <laughs> and it's our job to know the objective word and the nature of god to be able to filter it and understand it and some of the ways that we can do that is um uh, described in Acts 17 uh, talking about uh, people that lived in the city of berea um says uh so paul was preaching in one city uh, thessalonica and then, uh, and they didn't really receive what he was saying, and he fled to another city. And it says of those people, the Bereans, they were more fair-minded fair or noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures, the graphe, daily to find out whether these things were so. All right. And so, like uh, the Bereans, we need to be ready to receive when you when you get the Rama ministry or you're saying, God, I want, to, I want to hear, or you're journaling, be ready, be open, be expecting. Expect to hear from God. And you know what? God can cut through and, and, and speak clearly. He really can. We need to believe that. But then we need to go to Scripture, which is objective, and find a basis for it. You know, is this, this, is this, is this me or is this God? If it is God, you're going to find uh, something that will support the idea, at least, in, in scripture um, and prophecies should confirm convictions all right god's got to speak it to your heart i don't care who says what they say under any condition uh, paul said even if an angel appears and speaks to you a different gospel don't believe them so the level of spiritual experience or the messenger that brings the word uh, actually cannot overrule the conviction of your heart and your conscience before God based on the objective word, all right? So don't act on a prophetic word until it becomes a conviction that the, that the prophetic word is actually confirmed or spoken or helped you understand. Does that make sense? Because that's, that's the most important part. Um, this will be the, th he, uh, Paul says it again this way, this will be the third time I'm coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Jesus also quoted that scripture that uh, by the mouth of two or three uh, witnesses, every word shall be established. So we need to look for confirmation. If I hear something, someone comes up and shares something to me personally or something about the church, or I, I'll go, hmm, that's good, that's great. I'll, I'll think about that, you know, I'll pray about that. But then if I hear it again from a different source, then it goes up a notch. I'm like, hmm, I think God might be saying something here. And if I hear a third or a fourth time, I'm like, I'm convinced. All right, we're going to do it. Uh, all right, I got to keep moving on. <laughs> write it out. Uh, if you, especially if it's a significant word. Write it down so that you can go back and review it. Uh, and if you don't understand it, if there's no confirmation, put it on the shelf. In other words, don't act on it, wait. And sometimes after something's been sitting on the shelf for long enough, you might need to throw it away. 
you might need to say, I don't, I don't think that was of God, or that, I, I didn't understand that correctly, and it's okay. Uh, uh, putting it on the shelf, it may, it may have been a test to see if you would act on something without having conviction. It's okay. Um, uh, it doesn't diminish the value of prophecy. It actually puts it in its proper place. And that then empowers it because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He never said, my sheep read my book. Okay? It's hear his voice. And that's a promise. He actually repeats that four times in that chapter. That his sheep hear his voice. And so this is something each and every one of us should expect to experience. We need to learn how to hear God's voice personally through the ministry of others like our Rhema team and through scripture. And that's really the goal of all discipleship. I hope you never look to me to hear God. My job and the team, our pastoral team and teaching team, is to teach and equip you so that you can hear God, that you can understand His Word for yourself and be equipped to, to live it out. All right, last scripture, we're going to finish up here. Hebrews, uh, that was interesting. The Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. This harkens back to what John said about the Word becoming flesh. And He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. Wow! The whole universe is upheld by Jesus' Word. After making purification for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So yes, we know Jesus expresses the perfect nature of God, but He holds the whole universe together. So what do you think would happen if he stopped speaking? Based on this verse. The whole universe would fall apart. So has Jesus stopped speaking? No. All right? He is the Word. He's the constant expression, Word of God. And if he stopped speaking, everything would fall apart. If that applies to the universe, it applies to each part of the universe. So if God stops speaking, if that word is no longer heard or received by you, what would happen to your life? Fall apart. Fall apart. All right? And so our lives are held together by the word of, the, of his power. How vital it is that we are able to hear it as well as read it and understand it. Rhema, graphe, logos. Uh, Rhema is an important way to hear that in the present tense. And it's uh, important to understand the balance of all three. If you haven't signed up, I encourage you to do so. We also offer this ministry every Sunday. You can come up and administer just to one or two people. And, it, and then if you haven't learned how to hear God's voice, plug into the discipleship track. Uh, sign up for the different classes that we offer on this. It's vital that you know that how to do that. And I don't know, one of you are going to close. Thank you. <clears throat>